some of the most elemental things in the world are salt and light. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open your word to us. Give us eyes and ears that we might see and hear, and we might understand and apply your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With sunglasses on, an arrogant, austere expression on his face, the butcher roughly handles the piece of meat, then spanks it and places it on the grill. The steak sizzles as he forcefully flips it with an Ottoman-inspired sword, and after a few minutes, uses the same sword to sensationally flip the meat onto a cutting board and then expertly slice it. The final revealing or unveiling, the epiphany as it were, is when Nusret Goche, known as the Salt Bay, sprinkles salt down his forearm onto the sizzling dish because you gotta have salt. This morning in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see that you gotta have salt as Jesus brings forth an epiphany of salt and light. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter five, we're gonna begin in verse 13. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 13. Now we're in the season of epiphany. It's a season of revealings, revealing of Jesus as king to the nations, revealing of the kingdom of God. The first 12 verses here in Matthew chapter five, of course, are the Beatitudes. It sort of provides a prologue to the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus says these words in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. In Greek here, humes este taalas tes geis. You all are the salt of the earth. Now the Jews were the people of God in the Old Covenant. You are the people of God in the new covenant. And so as Jesus comes here, speaking the words of the Sermon on the Mount, he comes and explicates and explains the Old Testament. He actually adds new angles and teachings upon the word of God, which then go down as the word of God, and therefore they go to you. You are the people of God in the new covenant. And so here's your epiphany, number one. Your first revealing this morning. You are the salt of of the earth, whether you recognize it or not. You are the salt of the earth. Now, why salt? Not us, salt, you know, it's cheap and it comes in these cylinders, you know, and maybe you, you go get some expensive Himalayan salt. You think it comes from Mount Everest, but it comes from the plains below the Himalayas. You could buy it at Ross, not a big deal. But salt was exceptionally valuable before refrigeration. If you lived in Israel in the first century and you had a piece of meat, and you left it out, it would go bad by the next day. It would begin to decay almost immediately and would be rotten very shortly unless you put salt on it. And so salt preserved food from decay. Salt also flavors food and makes it delightful. And it was valuable because of this. In fact, there's stories from the ancient world. I've not been able to fully verify it, but I don't doubt there was some truth to it that at times salt was worth its weight in gold. You didn't have refrigerators. You didn't have freezers. You needed salt for preservation. 
and it was also used in the sacrifices of Israel. It was sprinkled on the grain offerings, the incense offerings, the purification offerings to symbolize purity and preservation from decay. Preservation from death, it represented life. You, the people of God, the church, preserve the world from decay. God continues his purposes in the world and doesn't destroy and judge the world now because he's got his people in the world, the people who are salt. Death and decay is reversed. Death and decay is reversed right here in the church because we carry out the salt to the ends of the earth. We are the agents of God by the power of the Spirit reversing the decay that came from the fall. Going on to the second part of verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under God's feet. Now the salt used in Israel to preserve their food and to prevent decay came from the Dead Sea. Isn't that interesting? Salt from the Dead Sea was used to reverse decay. Salt from the Dead Sea was used to reverse death as it were. The saltiness is its preservative properties which if lost makes it worthless and worthless salt that has been leached of its usefulness was used for what Jesus calls here worthless purposes. Do you know if you leave salt out in the elements, rain and wind and the sun, it can actually leach the properties out of the salt. It can actually make it less salty. And so what would happen is this worthless salt was saved up in the temple grounds and it was leached of its usefulness and then it was thrown onto the steps of the temple when it rained because the steps were slippery. Now this last week, we had these ice storms here. And by the way, the weather down here is crazy. California, I'm used to things going up in stages. It gets cold, colder, colder. Here it's like hot, cold, cold, hot. I think it was Tuesday, I went over to HEB and they threw salt down onto the slippery steps at the front of the store. Worthless salt used to throw on the steps and be trampled under people's feet because it no longer had its worth as a preservative or flavoring agent. And so I want to say to you, friends, listen up, kids. Stay salty, my friends. Going on to verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Here, humes este ta fos. Fos means light. Fos tu cosmu of the cosmos or of the world. You all, says Jesus, are the light of the world. Jesus is speaking to his 12 apostles first and foremost and then through the larger crowd of those who are following along and down into the word of God he speaks to us. The Jews were the people of God in the old covenant. You are the people of God in the new covenant and here's your epiphany or revealing number two. You are the light of the world Whether you recognize it or not, you are the light of the world. Why light? Well, light was exceptionally rare before electricity. In fact, maybe some of you lived in some part of town that's kind of on the edge of town already and lost power during this recent ice storm, and it got kind of dark. But if you ever go out to places like Colorado or you're up in Montana hunting, 
And you don't have the gloaming of electric lights. It's hard to find places like this anymore in America. You get a sense of how dark the world was in the first century. There were no electric lights. There wasn't the gloaming of electric lights from cities that you could see from far away. In fact, to the point now where our highways are lit and we're never in complete darkness, but in the first century, it was a very dark world. Light came from oil lamps. Jerusalem was a city on a hill and was lit by giant torches during the festival seasons. And so from far away, many miles away, you could see this city on a hill filled with light and it guided your path. It guided your path to the true city, you, the people of God. The church, the new Jerusalem, are to be a light on a hill that cannot be hidden, verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Be the light of the world. Kids, you are the light of the world. Be the light of the world. In other words, you are the people of God. Be the people of God. Now notice here, the light is to shine what? Before others. There's no hiding out. There's no Christians incognito. No private religion in the precincts of the church only. We've just gone through a time where we've been challenged with COVID and government regulations and the culture forcing itself upon the church and large segments of the church wanted to hide out, wanted to be incognito, wanted to go along to get along with the culture, but we are to be lights to the world, no private religion for us. We are to do our works of light before others. Live in the light and your light will naturally shine before the world. Walk close with Jesus and the power of the Spirit and your light will shine forth. And how do you do that? Are you supposed to pray for supernatural things to happen? Wait for God to move upon you? How do you know how you're supposed to be the light? This, read it. Kids, read your Bible. Treasure your Bible. Meditate upon the word of God. Let it seep into your soul so that if they cut you, you bleed nothing but Bible. Salt and light are not simply believing in justification, but living your faith and doing the good works that the Lord Jesus Christ and his word tell us to do. Going on to verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus did not come to abolish. The Greek verb there is kataluo. It means to destroy or overthrow. Jesus did not come to destroy or overthrow the law and the prophets. What are the law and the prophets? It's the Old Testament. It's the first two-thirds of our Bible. It's the Bible that Jesus and the apostles would have had before the canon of the New Testament came and was completed. Jesus did not come to destroy or overthrow the Old Testament. To do that is what we call antinomianism, no law. We are not people of no law. Know the Old Testament and understand its standing and continued relevance a lot of Christians today, they don't know the first two-thirds of their Bible. 
They don't know the wondrous stories of what God has done in the past. They don't understand the antecedents that were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they don't know God's word, know the Old Testament, and understand it. For Jesus pulls all of the sacrifices, all of the mighty men of old, all of the faithful barren women, all of the miracles, all the stories of unbelievable turnarounds, all the resurrections, all of the Old Testament, which by the way is synonymous with and the same word for Old Covenant. He pulls it all into his story. It was all his story anyway and transforms them through fulfilling them so no God's word from one end to the other. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The law stands perpetually through this age. Our job isn't to look at it and go, wow, that's really difficult. How do I figure out the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament? It's not our job to change God's word, but to stand under it and to seek to understand it. The law stands perpetually through this age. And notice this, not an iota, not a dot, not the smallest letter, not the smallest mark of punctuation passes from the law. How it applies in the age to come is pure speculation, but in this age until the coming again of Jesus, it stands and it has application for us in the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. How do we do this, friends? Well, kids, you should know this. We sing the Psalms here. You remember singing Psalm 1? Kids, when we're singing the Psalms, don't just think of it as a song. You're singing God's word. Let it seep into your mind and into your hearts. The same for us as adults. I find myself often singing our psalms. Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. As he hears foolishness coming from the world, as he hears the worldling as he hears the apostate and what they have to say about the word of God. He doesn't stand with them. He doesn't sit with them. He doesn't entertain their foolishness. No, no, he rejects that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, that doesn't mean that he's walking around the Bible all day long. He doesn't have a job. He just reads the Bible. It means you're reading it. Sometimes even just brief fragments and then you're thinking about it during the day and you're praying it and you're letting it seep into your soul and before you go to bed at night you think about God's word and when you're afraid you pray the Psalms you pray God's word and he gives you illumination and he strengthens you to stand against those of this age who would come against the church of God verse 19 therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever loose breaks, destroys, or annuls the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise, says Jesus, not a good thing. Now I believe that in addition to speaking of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant laws is also 
these new covenant laws here. Jesus speaks upon, illuminates, expands upon the Old Testament, applies them in light of his coming resurrection and ascension, and these things have application for us as well. We should not relax them. We should not break or annul or destroy them. It is assumed that the one here relaxing the commands is a believer of some sort, Notice that they're spoken of as those who are the least and the greatest. The least and the greatest. Guess what? Kids, you don't want to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. You want Jesus to say to you on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. For you stood against those who would mock. You stood against the wicked. You didn't fall in with those who hate God's word. But even if you are a thousand against one and you couldn't have done it on your own, but in the power of the Spirit, you took this and you believed it and applied it and you were salt and you were light. The least versus the great. Beware, Jesus doesn't like people messing with his word. Like changing the gender pronouns so God isn't expressed as masculine. Like relaxing the commands on sexual purity so that it fits your sinful appetites like changing the gospel which unites all as the new human race to favor your sexual, gender, or racial group through critical theory. Like twisting the Bible to willingly let the government shut down and control the church. God hates when you tweak his word. He said so in Proverbs chapter 30, verse five and six. Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do you believe that, brethren? His word is true. Let the world be proved, liars. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And then verse six, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And this is echoed at the end of Revelation where it says don't add or take from the words of this prophecy and I take it as a capstone of the word of God lest you be cursed. Verse 20, for I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees worked hard. They had big burdens. Now a lot of times they took those burdens and threw them off onto other people but they tried hard. They had their rules, they had their regulations, they had their ceremonies, they had their symbols. Your righteousness, says Jesus, must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, guess what, friends? Your righteousness as a Christian is an alien righteousness. Your righteousness as a Christian is an alien righteousness. That means it comes outside of yourself. You don't generate your own righteousness Your righteousness comes from outside of yourself and your righteousness is based outside yourself in Jesus and in his finished works. But that being said, the righteous do righteously. They do salt and light and they are salt and light and because they're aligned with the word of God, they exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I believe they exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, not only because you have the righteousness of Christ, the blood of Christ covers you. If the scribe or the Pharisee says to you, 
you sinned. How can you possibly be one of the people of God? You can say, my righteousness is all of Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. But because you're in Christ, your actions as salt and light are going to align with the word of God as well. Salt and light in Christ exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The theater was completely dark. So dark in the confined space that you couldn't see the nose on your face. And then shafts of light pierced the darkness and lit up the small space on the stage and the small clatch of actors on that stage enacting an auction at an opera when suddenly the word gentlemen and a suddenly fully lighted chandelier rose from the floor to the deep resonating sound of a blaring pipe organ playing the theme song of the Phantom of the Opera as the theater was flooded with revealing light. The world is a dark stage that was pierced with the penetrating shaft of light that was the light of the world, Jesus. But Jesus has passed that light and continues to be the source of that light through the lives and works of the saints you, you all are the salt and light of the world. This morning in the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen the epiphany of salt and light. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Father, help us to be salt and light. We confess that we can only do this in the power of your Holy Spirit. We confess that we're only the salt and light because of the finished work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us, not just to hear the words of salt and light, but to be salt and light in a dark age. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.